Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Spring is just around the corner, but you wouldn't know it where I live. The forecast for the next 10 days here call for highs in the upper 30s and lower 40s with occasional rain and low temperatures below freezing overnight. Personally, my favorite time of the year is the late autumn around Thanksgiving, so I don't mind the temperatures, but I'm not a fan of cold, chilly rain. I'll take nice, warm spring showers all day over a cold rain. Also, spring training is more than halfway over, and you know what that means. Baseball's opening day is just around the corner. I'm so stoked for the season, especially considering how awesome the World Baseball Classic has been so far. The atmosphere at most of the games has been electric. And congratulations to the baseball team from Great Britain, winning their first WBC game and qualifying automatically for the 2026 tournament. But enough baseball chat. It's time to talk about today's book, Labyrinth of Evil by James Luceno. The Clone Wars have bogged down the galaxy as they move to the Outer Rim, but the Jedi have made a discovery, a clue to the Sith Lord they believe is pulling the strings behind the scenes, Darth Sidious. How will the Jedi respond to this new information? We'll find out in just a few minutes, but first, it's listener question time. Today's question comes from Chris. Chris says, Hey buddy, it's Chris from the UK. I stumbled upon your pod, and it's great. I struggle with a few legend stories, and I just can't get past the canon and relate them as separate entities. Do you have any tips? I tried the Thrawn series and Bounty Hunter books. I might give the X-Wing series a go. Well, thank you very much for the email, Chris. It's a great question. Legends can be difficult. The first thing I would say is... Don't force it. Canon is important to people. And if canon is important to you, that's fine. But if you do want to give Legends a try, I do have some advice for you and for anyone that has struggled reading these books. First, Legends is a mindset. I love Legends. I was initially disappointed after the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm when it was announced that the Legends stories were wiped away from the timeline. But I also understood why it had to happen. And let me be clear, it did have to happen. When George Lucas was in charge, Lucasfilm gave authors very little guidelines with their stories. There were basically two rules. First, you couldn't write anything about Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, or Palpatine prior to the events of the original trilogy of films. Second, you couldn't kill off the main heroes from the original trilogy. But besides that, it was pretty much carte blanche. So many of the stories written in the 80s and 90s contradict each other. Nowhere is this more evident than in the original Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn and the Dark Empire comics written by Tom Veach. And then, as the story continued forward in the timeline, Subsequent authors just cherry-picked aspects from those two stories and omitted others. They wrote about what they liked, and the parts of it they didn't like, they just didn't talk about. When George Lucas was asked about these stories and the issues with the timeline, 
He just said that the authors can make the stories that they want. His Star Wars story was what people saw on the screen between the original trilogy, the prequels, and finally the Clone Wars animated show that began in 2008. As for the books, it wasn't really until the New Jedi Order series began in the late 90s where the authors themselves made a concerted effort to keep the continuity. Believe me, as a kid that started reading Legends in 1991 at age 13, I know your frustration. The way I look at Legends, particularly the stories published through the release of Revenge of the Sith in 2003, is that these are the stories that the characters in-universe tell about themselves. It's their folklore. It's like the stories here in the U.S. surrounding George Washington. Did George Washington serve as the supreme commander of the Continental Army back in the late 1700s? And was he elected our first U.S. president? Yes. Did George Washington throw a silver dollar across the Potomac River and admit to chopping down a cherry tree when he was a child? Almost certainly not. But the folklore is important to many people here in the United States. I think about legends in the same way. For someone who lives in a galaxy far, far away, did Luke Skywalker and Leia Organa help lead the rebellion over the Empire? Yes, they did. Did Luke and Leia help lead the galaxy through the Black Fleet crisis a few decades later? Probably not, but the folklore increases their heroic statures. I think if you can try to keep these things in mind, Chris, maybe that will help you. Secondly, for anyone trying to get into Legends, you may have to be judicious in the stories that you choose. What are your favorite parts of Star Wars? If you like tales of Jedi and Sith, start with those. If you like military stuff, fighter pilots, try that. If it's a specific character that you enjoy, look into the stories where that character plays a major role. What's your favorite era? Are you interested in the Old Republic, the prequel era, the rise of the Rebellion, or the post-original trilogy time? Ask yourself those questions. There are plenty of legend stories that fit into those categories. And if continuity is a must, Chris, consider starting with the books that were published after 2003. I think many of the books published between 2003 and 2014 pertaining to the Old Republic and the Imperial eras could be brought into canon with no changes to the stories at all, or very, very little. Several of the Clone Wars era stories feel like they could have been three or four episode arcs on the show. Look, I'm not going to lie to anyone and say that everything in Legends is great, because it's not. There's a lot of silly stuff. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And no, the stories featuring the heroes from the original trilogy do not fit into the events that we see in the sequel trilogy or in the Disney Plus live-action shows. They're just stories. There are some really, really good stories. But again, they're just stories. Now, if you want any recommendations, Chris, or anyone out there that wants to try Legends, just send me an email. 
at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at legendslounge1. Tell me what you like in Star Wars and I'll tell you the Legends book that you might want to give a try. Thank you very much for the email, Chris. I really enjoyed your question. Now it's time for today's book, Labyrinth of Evil by James Luceno. Grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins with Anakin and Obi-Wan leading an attack on Kato Nemoidia. The Jedi try to use huge harvester beetles to enter Newt Gunray's fortress from the underground. Gunray's droid army puts up a stout defense, forcing Anakin and Obi-Wan to split up. Obi-Wan, Commander Cody, and the majority of the Republic forces hold off the battle droids while Anakin leads a squad to hunt for Gunray. Anakin fights his way into the fortress, but he arrives too late. Gunray has fled. But in his haste, he forgot his mechno chair. Now why is that important? Because the chair holds a special interstellar transceiver, one that Darth Sidious uses to talk to the leader of the Trade Federation. The Jedi also find an engraving on the chair, which leads them to search out its builder on Karos IV. On Coruscant, Republic Intelligence cracks the transceiver code in the Mechno chair. They learn that General Grievous is planning an attack on another Outer Rim planet, Belderone. The information offers an opportunity. The Republic can ambush Grievous, possibly capturing or killing him. But if they do lay a trap for Grievous, the Republic will expose themselves. The Separatists will know that their code has been cracked. Jedi Masters Yoda and Mace Windu debate the issue. Should they send forces to protect Belderone, or should they sacrifice the Outer Rim world in hopes to use the code to flush out Sidious? Eventually, they decide to send forces to protect Belderone, while Yoda and Mace focus on rooting out Sidious there on Coruscant. On Karos IV, Anakin and Obi-Wan find the Z-Karian who built the Mechno chair. They question him, but learn the Z-Karian didn't know who the chair was meant for. However, he gives the Jedi the name of the Bith who built the transceiver. After doing a little digging, Anakin discovers that the Bith is being held in the mining asteroid Escarte. But before Anakin and Obi-Wan can leave Karos IV, the Jedi Council contacts them and tells them about the Separatist attack on Belderone. Anakin and Obi-Wan arrive with Republic forces and begin to evacuate the planet. When Grievous arrives, he realizes something is wrong. How could the Republic know to evacuate Belderone before his attack? Eager to stop the Separatists, Anakin leads a fighter squadron to attack Grievous's flagship. Enraged, Grievous sounds the retreat, but he orders his forces to fire on the refugee ships before they jump out of the system. The Separatists escape Belderone, but not before killing more than 10,000 refugees and 27 Jedi on the evacuation ships. In hyperspace, Grievous contacts Count Dooku and tells him about the ambush. 
Concerned that the Republic can now intercept and decipher their transmissions, Dooku sends Grievous to the core, while the Count heads to Coruscant and informs his master of the situation. Anakin and Obi-Wan arrive at Escart and are prevented from landing, but that doesn't stop Anakin, who harasses the asteroid's security and intentionally gets himself and Obi-Wan arrested. The two are taken to a prison, where an undercover Republic intelligence agent named Travail has them thrown in a prison cell with the Bith that designed the transceiver in Newt Gunray's mechno chair. The Bith tells them that he delivered the transceiver to a pilot. Once the Jedi get the information, Travail orchestrates a breakout, allowing Anakin and Obi-Wan to escape Escart and head off to their next stop in their investigation, the planet Naos III. On Coruscant, Dooku meets with Darth Sidious. The Sith Lord is surprised with the news about Newt Gunray's transceiver, but he tells the Count not to worry. The war will soon come to a close, and the Sith can reveal themselves to the galaxy. Plus, the situation presents an opportunity. Sidious tells Dooku to set a trap for the Jedi on Naos III. Kill Kenobi, but allow Anakin to live. When Dooku asks if his master plans to take young Skywalker on as a new apprentice, Sidious says not to worry. Skywalker will soon embrace the dark side, and when he does, he'll unlock his full powers and end the Jedi Order. Anakin and Obi-Wan head to Naos III and find the delivery pilot, a Lethan woman named Fa'ali Lei. They begin questioning her about the chair when they're attacked by mercenaries. They steal some speeder bikes and flee. After the escape, Fa'ali tells Anakin and Obi-Wan that she delivered the chair to Coruscant, to an ugly, depressed area called the Works. Obi-Wan calls the Jedi Council with the information, and they decide to send Mace Windu, Shock T, and a team of Republic troops to investigate the reported delivery destination. Sidious orders Dooku to attack the Outer Rim planet of Tithe. The planet holds no real significance, but it will divide Republic forces. Because once Dooku bombards Tithe, Grievous will jump from the core and attack Coruscant. Mace and Shock T find the building in the works where the transceiver was delivered to. They find evidence that Count Dooku had been there recently, and evidence of another being, perhaps the mysterious Darth Sidious. The Jedi lead their troops through the maze of tunnels leading out of the works, following the footprints of the second person back to Coruscant's Senate District. They emerge from the tunnels beneath 500 Republica, the home to many of the Republic Senators, and to Chancellor Palpatine. Three years ago, on Geonosis, Count Dooku told Obi-Wan that a Sith Lord named Sidious had the Senate under his control. The Jedi dismissed the information at the time, but now Mace and Shock T believe it appears Dooku was telling the truth. The Jedi discuss these implications when the ground is rocked by a series of explosions. Horrified, they look up to the sky 
and see a separatist fleet. The Battle of Coruscant has begun. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about Labyrinth of Evil. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath is the beginning of the story following the Battle of Endor. The Empire's in disarray. Now its remaining leaders meet on a distant world to plan a counterattack. How will the Rebellion handle the lingering Imperial threat while trying to start a new Republic? That's Aftermath by Chuck Wendig the first book in the Aftermath Trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Labyrinth of Evil by James Luceno. I didn't really want to go into the details of the book in the first part of this episode, because of how the events run right up to the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. It ends right after the Separatists take Palpatine into custody and take him up aboard Grievous' ship in orbit. Right as Anakin and Obi-Wan jump into hyperspace and arrive at Coruscant. We all remember the opening scene in Revenge of the Sith. It may be the best opening of any of the Star Wars films. I'm sure it is to many people. Luceno structures the story specifically to get all the characters into the positions where we see them at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. The book is basically two investigations surrounding Darth Sidious. In the Outer Rim, as part of the Outer Rim sieges, Anakin and Obi-Wan search for the origins of Newt Gunray's Mechnochair. While on Coruscant, Mace Windu and Shock T take up the investigation, as the Jedi finally realize that what Dooku told Obi-Wan back on Geonosis during the events of Attack of the Clones that the Senate was basically under the control of a Sith Lord was the truth. If you remember back in The Phantom Menace when Qui-Gon Jinn tells the Council that he encountered a Sith the Council did not believe him. The Sith had been extinct for a thousand years. After 
Qui-Gon is killed, and Obi-Wan kills Darth Maul. The Council finally admits that the Sith have returned. But even that is hubris, because the Sith didn't return. They've always been there, just hiding in the shadows. They had a thousand years to manipulate events in the galaxy to gain power and influence to amass political and financial resources to the point where the Dark Lord of the Sith is ready to vanquish the Jedi Order and take control of the galaxy. Again, 10 years later, during the events of Attack of the Clones, when Dooku admits basically to serving a Sith Lord, the Jedi don't believe him. Yes, Count Dooku left the Order, but he was a Jedi Knight. He was a Jedi Master. Yes, he may have fallen to the dark side, but a Sith? He couldn't become a Sith. How could we, the Jedi Council, not know what's going on? And that's the great fault of the Jedi Order for me. Hubris. The Council just could not believe that something like this could happen under their noses and they not learn about it. And it's not like this is happening in the unknown regions, in wild space way out in the Outer Rim territories. This is happening right under their noses. Specifically, Sheev Palpatine. So as the two Jedi factions investigate different trails into Darth Sidious, Anakin grows more and more frustrated. The Outer Rim sieges are taking a toll on him. They're taking a toll on the entire galaxy, but they're really taking a toll on Anakin. He hates being away from Coruscant. He hates being away from Padme. I mean, she's pregnant right now. He wants to be there with his wife and the soon-to-be mother of his children. But Palpatine is manipulating the war in such a way to keep Anakin and Obi-Wan away from Coruscant. Not only does it divide the Jedi forces, that it allows Palpatine to begin his endgame on Coruscant, but it further frustrates Anakin. Anakin's angry at Obi-Wan in this book for continually lecturing him about minding his feelings. He's angry at the Jedi Order for not taking control of the war, basically ending it. The Jedi have this power. Why aren't they using it? That's what Anakin's thought process is. I have this power. Why aren't you letting me use this? 
I could end this war if you would just let me off this leash. And of course, the Outer Rim sieges allows Palpatine to take advantage of Anakin's fatal characteristic, his attachment to his loved ones. He has visions of Padme in danger, of Padme in trouble. Most likely these visions were sent by Palpatine. And Anakin's torn between his duty as a Jedi and his love for his wife. He wants to get this investigation over with as quickly as possible. When they begin by going to Karos 4, he basically attacks the Zykarian who made the chair. When they go to Escarte, he breaks the law. He harasses the asteroid's central security. When they end up at Naos 3, he almost attacks the pilot that delivered the chair to Coruscant. When Dooku's mercenaries try to trap them, Anakin almost lets his emotions get away from him. He almost kills them out of anger. He taps into that anger. He feels the power of the dark side. It's seductive. He can tell that he has so much more potential right there. He can almost touch it. The question is, will he allow himself to use it? Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't play as big a role in this book as the two previous ones we talked about here on the show, Stealth and Siege. He's there with Anakin the entire time, but he is slightly in the background. He's almost like Jiminy Cricket to Pinocchio. He's there. He's the little voice on Anakin's shoulder that's telling him to mind his feelings, to stay patient, to reinforce the tenets of the Jedi Order. You can say that Obi-Wan Kenobi meant well, but failed in trying to help Anakin. But I think that's more out in the open in Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, in some of the other books that I've talked about recently from the Clone Wars era, than it is in this book. In this book, it's a little bit more subtle. And I'm not sure which way I prefer. In my opinion, James Luceno is best writing political intrigue writing characters with deep introspection. There are some in this book, not as much as in others. Of course, I would say the best example of this in Legends is the Darth Plagueis book, but it's still there. Particularly the passages with General Grievous, of all people. Grievous reminisces about his time before he was a cyborg. It's a different aspect of Grievous, a depth that honestly you don't get anywhere else in Star Wars 
Grievous is a boogeyman. This is really the only story about Grievous where you see a little bit into his mind about his wants and desires, about the things that he regrets a little bit. I enjoyed that part of this book. That's the storytelling that I think James Luceno is really good at. Now, there is one thing that Luceno writes that I'm not sure he's great at, and that's the space battles. I think there are other authors in Legends and Canon that are a little better than that. There were times, either in the space battles or just fighting in general, where I had a hard time following the description, and I would have to go back and reread passages two or three times. But that's just a little thing. We all know how good of a writer James Luceno is. He just may not be the best when it comes to the action parts. It's almost time to go. But first, I'd like to read an email that I received from a listener who has some thoughts about Jedi Master Joris Sabaoth, a character in the original Thrawn trilogy and in the book Outbound Flight. In the episode about Outbound Flight, I said that I wasn't a fan of Sabaoth, that I didn't feel that his characterization was in line with the way I perceived a Jedi Master would act. But Sabaoth's character may work for you. And I received a very nice email from Darren in Victoria, Australia about what I said on that show. Darren writes, One comment on your summary about Outbound Flight. I agree with you that it appears that Jedi Master Jorus Sabaoth seems out of line as a Jedi Master. But the first time I read about him was when he met Luke Skywalker in the first Thrawn trilogy. And even though he was a clone, it appeared he was with the dark side. Now, I think the Outbound Flight novel shows his descent into the dark side. The effort it took to get that venture up and running is what turned him. And I think through the novel, he leans further and further into the dark side, where at the end, when Thrawn defeats him, he goes over the edge. Well, thank you for the email, Darren, and thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on the subject. That's some great headcanon to explain the way Sabaoth acts during the events of the Outbound Flight novel. If Timothy Zahn were to ever say that's the way he intended it to be with Sabaoth, I would get behind that. But I would have one question for Zahn as to why the Jedi Council didn't step in and try to do something about the way he was acting prior to the mission's departure. At least call Sabaoth to the Council Chambers and ask him to calm down a bit, take a breath. But again, thank you very much for the email, Darren. Listener, if you have an opinion about anything I've said on this show, feel free to get in touch with me through email or Twitter. I love hearing from people with a different point of view. Now it's time to wrap up. If you have a question or comment for the show, or if you want to send in any of your favorite Star Wars character groupings, yep, we're still doing that, just send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you want to send in an audio message, 
you can email that in too. But please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. For the next episode, we jump ahead to the early Imperial era. It's The Last Jedi, not the sequel film by Ryan Johnson. I'm talking about the Legends novel of the same name, written by Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonoff, and was published in 2013. I've never read it before, so it should be pretty cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Join me again on March 31st. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.